Welcome to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. You can also find me on my other podcast, Straight Up Paleo. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, send it in to podcast at christinaricewellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join the Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. freaking out over the fact that it's already August. I have no idea how this has happened. July is always a fun month. There's 4th of July. It feels summery. I feel like people are taking trips. I don't know. It just feels like summer. And then August comes and I always feel like August and September are just weird awkward months. And then October is when all the fun stuff happens because you know I love the holiday season. But I have a very busy August and September and October. So that'll be fun. And this week, well, okay, when this comes out, I'll be gearing up to go to Austin for the Wellness Realness Retreat. I'm so excited. I wish there were words to articulate how pumped I am. I basically have curated my dream wellness weekend. So it's going to be really, really fun. And... I have my travel routine down. I'm very used to it now. And there are always a few things I never forget. And one of those is I always bring a travel bottle of apple cider vinegar, olive oil, and avocado oil because I like to have it on hand when you're traveling out and about. You cannot trust the oils and it's good to always have salad dressing with you in case of emergency. But speaking of extra virgin olive oil. I like to bring Castandrinos. They have little travel-sized glass containers on the website. And since it's now August, the July giveaway is over. So we have five winners. So we picked random winners. And by we, I mean, I had Kelly, who is my assistant, pick five random people. And these are the five people that she picked. (laughs) Boulders.4.shoulders. You won. EEG1216, Allison Indy, Sydney, with a lot of Ys. Hey, Sydney. Okay, Marina Anglin. Those are the five winners. So if you won, email podcast at christinaricewellness.com with your shipping info, and we will get you your free bottle of Cassandrinos, the best extra virgin olive oil ever. It's amazing. So that's the July giveaway winners. I'm going to do an August giveaway too, although I am deciding still what we're giving away. So stay tuned. But anyone, basically the way this works is if you have a rating and a review left up on the iTunes page, you're automatically entered to win into these. So make sure you have a rating up, a review up. It can say whatever you want it to say. I mean, if it says nice things, obviously, I appreciate that. But that would be helpful. So I always bring my travel olive oil, vinegar, usually avocado oil too. And another thing I always make sure I have is my Somnifix. 
especially on a trip like this where I want to make sure I'm bright-eyed and bushy-tailed for all my all my girls coming because I would be no fun if I didn't get any sleep and I swear to god when I don't have this over my mouth this Somnifix mouth tape I get the worst sleep ever I can't go back it's just one of those things once you try it you know you can't ever go back to how things used to be it's like when you eat the standard American diet and think you feel fine and you say oh nothing's wrong and then you change your diet and you go whoa I was living a lie I felt horrible just putting that out there so um Somnifix if you haven't heard of this this is mouth tape and mouth taping, I know, if you haven't heard of it, you probably think this is really crazy, but it's not. There's a lot of science and research behind this. Basically, the idea is that we want to be breathing through our noses, not our mouths. Breathing through our mouths is really inefficient and can lead to a lot of unwanted health symptoms. Everything from a sore throat, a dry mouth, nasal congestion, snoring. A lot of people are snoring because they're breathing through their mouths when they're sleeping. It can reduce your blood oxygen saturation. It can decrease your immunity. It even has negative effects on your gut health. And we all know I'm obsessed with gut health so we definitely don't want to disrupt our gut health and I just can't explain to you how much this has changed my life because I used to wake up in the middle of the night which is not normal that's not good that's a sign of we need to fix something if you're waking up in the middle of the night when you should be asleep and I realized that it was basically because my cortisol was spiking in the middle of the night because I was breathing through my mouth so now that my mouth is taped shut during the night, I stay in that rest and digest state all night long and I get a good night's sleep and I feel so much more rested and awake during the day. I have more energy. I didn't realize how much it was impacting my daily life and I mean a few weeks ago when I ran out, I I mean I was a wreck. I need my mouth tape. So I love the Somnifix because it's fully hypoallergenic and the adhesive is specially designed for your lips. It doesn't hurt when you take it off. There's no sticky residue left behind and it just releases with a little bit of force when you open your mouth. So, you know, if you open your mouth, it'll pop off. You'll be fine. And I also love it because it has this little breathing vent in the front so you can sort of breathe a bit through it, which is, you know, it gives you some peace of mind if you're new to mouth taping. So don't, don't be scared you're fine. The only person who I don't recommend this to is somebody who has an actual obstruction in their nose where they can't breathe through their nose, in which case that would be dangerous because you need to be able to breathe. But for most people, this will really, really help transform your life, I swear. And sleep is one of the pillars to health. I cannot emphasize that enough. So if you want to check out Somnifix, just go to somnifix.com and you can also pick it up on Amazon. It's on Amazon Prime. And you can use my discount code CRWSLEEP and that will get you 15% off. So again, go to Somnifix.com or Amazon and search for Somnifix and just enter CRWSLEEP and that will get you 15% off of your first box. And then you can tell me how much it's changed your life. I love when you guys message me and tell me how amazing it is. It makes me very happy. So please continue to try out the Somnifix and utilize it and tell everyone about it. Especially if you have a significant other who snores because that would be really, really not fun to deal with. I'm very sorry if you have to deal with that because that affects your own sleep. And if you don't have a good sleep routine in place, if you don't have good sleep hygiene, I'm sorry, but your health, you're just not going to feel too great. Okay, so 
Let's just talk about what's going to happen in this episode. Basically, I'm going to try and roll through as many questions as I can. And you guys sent in a ton of awesome questions. I am not going to get through all of them, let's be honest. But I'll see how many I can get through. So I asked on Instagram and in the Facebook group. And you guys were very helpful as usual. Thank you. So let's just roll through some of these. Okay. What do I think of greens powders like the one from First Form Optigreens? I don't know. Okay. I, I just looked up this this greens powder. There are so many greens powders out there. Um, I just think that they're unnecessary, honestly. Like, eat vegetables is my opinion. Um, I think, like, there are so many things in the health space that are just a marketing scheme that you don't really need. And I guess I understand when people are traveling and they feel like they need some greens. If you feel like you need that, fine. But you also, like, don't really need it. You could go a bit without greens. Um, and then when you come home, eat your greens. But I think vegetables are the best. And I think I just also worry about all these greens powders because they have like 50 different greens in there. And a lot of people don't do well with that digestively. That can be a lot for the body to process. And there are also some common ingredients, those that I find a lot of people react to. Like a lot of people react to wheatgrass. They don't do well with that. And also barley grass, and those two are commonly in greens powders. But there's just so much in there. And if you really look at the ingredients in these, a lot of times they have unwanted additives as well. It's just a lot for your body to handle. Like, would you do you think realistically someone would go out into nature and eat 50 different types of greens? No. I just think it's too much. And not to mention that they're usually adding in things to make it palatable, like flavors or stevia, any of those. So I'm just, I'm just not a fan. I don't think you need it. Okay. Next question. Do I take CBD or hemp oil? How much and why? Yes, I take CBD oil. I take, okay, I take full spectrum hemp oil as it is officially called and I'm actually going to... I'm going to share more about this um, because I have been for a while really interested in CBD oil because it has some really great benefits. So CBD oil does not have the psychoactive effects of the commonly known ingredient in marijuana, THC. Um, so it's not going to alter your mental state. It's not going to get give you a high that's different than THC or marijuana. The marijuana itself is a whole other topic. Um, so basically, our bodies have a system called the endocannabinoid system, or ECS, which is faster to say. And basically, it's stimulated by cannabinoids. It's actually not stimulated all too often, like on a regular basis, if you're not putting things into your body to stimulate it. Um but our bodies also do create its own set of endocannabinoids, which it creates during stressful situations. So you, this is also related to like when runners have that runner's high. But basically, the whole ECS system supports our sleep, our immune function, and how our body responds to pain and inflammation as well. 
So basically when CBD enters our bodies, it looks for receptors that might be inflamed in the brain, in the body, and it might actually help the body produce its own cannabinoid compounds that will look for inflamed receptors in addition to the actual CBD that's going to help calm things down. So this is why people often use CBD for any type of inflammatory condition like chronic pain, arthritis, fibromyalgia, and people also will use this for anxiety, depression, cancer, panic disorders, headaches, upset stomachs. There are so many different reasons people use CBD and I was interested in it for just the general anti-inflammatory properties and also for digestion and anxiety reducing stress levels at the end of the day but I mean this is something I've been looking into for a while I feel like CBD has been kind of popular for a good amount of time but it was really really hard for me to find one where I was down with the ingredients because it's basically CBD mixed with some type of oil and they pretty much all had I mean the oil they're usually mixed with I didn't like or they have a flavor in it so that it tasted a certain way and it's also really kind of sketchy when you're learning about the sourcing of these things so I had tried a few but I hadn't found one that I was um comfortable putting into my body every single day because I I do think that was something like that it helps to take it every single day to really get the benefits over time And I was also, I mean, I wanted to find something for myself, but also with a lot of my clients because I do have a few clients who, you know, first of all, could use the help with the anxiety and calming down at the end of the night. And this also helps support sleep as well, too, if you're able to sort of relax in the evenings. But also I have a few clients who struggle a lot with chronic pain um, and inflammation. I think this is pretty common with people who have autoimmune diseases. They'll struggle with with especially the inflammation. So I was really just like wanting to find something to, to help. And I, I found one company that I am obsessed with and in love with and I really believe in and I want to try and get, I want to try and get one of the owners to come on the podcast and um, I'll probably write a blog post about this too to teach you guys more about it. But basically the company is called Ned and you can go to their website, helloned.com. And I have been using the CBD oil for a bit and it's the first one that I actually have noticed a difference with and they have different strengths at different price points and I start off with the lowest one um, but I think that I'm going to bump it up higher so I would probably recommend starting with a lower a lower dose because I just want to see how it went but it's literally just the full spectrum pure hemp oil mixed with mct oil and that's it so there's no flavors it's mct oil it's not like any other weird inflammatory oil this is like the highest quality it's like i feel like everyone else with their cbd brands they're shopping at cvs and i feel like i just found the arowana of cbd does that make sense anyways i have a code it's wellness and that will get you 10 percent if you go to helloned.com they are not sponsoring this, although I'm going to try and get them to, honestly. So, fingers crossed. <laughs> but yeah, I really, really like it. Um, yeah, I use it. And okay, so let's go to the next question. What time of day do you take your supplements like vitamins and probiotics 
with food. It just depends on the supplement that you're taking. Um, probiotics, I recommend always be taken with food. I tend to take mine in the morning with my breakfast and yeah, it kind of depends. I mean, it just depends on the vitamin and the supplement. So I would check with your practitioner and they should tell you because some things should be taken with food. Some should be taken on an empty stomach. It just kind of depends. Um, vitamin D I take first thing in the morning because if you take that too late in the day, it can be kind of stimulating. There are other supplements that might be stimulating at certain times. Anything relaxing you would want to take in the evening, obviously. Some things, it doesn't matter if it's with food or without. So I would just kind of play around. Um, magnesium I take in the evening. I don't take that with food. I just take it in the evening because it can be, you know, relaxing, calming. So I don't want to take that in the morning. I'm trying to think of, like, what else. A lot of this stuff is is specific to me things like um if you're taking hydrochloric acid for instance that should be taken mid meal or when I'm taking digestive bitters I'll take that you know before my meal so in a perfect world like 15 minutes before but realistically it's like two minutes before I mean I'm just gonna be honest um and digestive enzymes I'll take just right before I eat my my food so those are just a few examples but again it's really going to depend on what exactly you're taking and I would just check with a practitioner I have different supplements I'm on I'm on a, a lot of supplements right now because I'm doing sort of a detox protocol for um some some of those genetic mutations I'm trying to address that I have so, I mean, my supplements are kind of all throughout the day and I have like a list I, I write out so I can keep it all straight and that helps me a lot because certain things need to be taken in between meals, some need to be taken with food, some need, some need to be taken in the morning, so that helps just keep it all straight. So, that's that. Okay, feelings on hydration, salt, no salt, during meals, etc. Broad question, hydration, incredibly important. You're going to feel like crap if you're drinking not enough water or if you are drinking way too much. So you want to find that sweet spot. And what I recommend is take your body weight in pounds, divide that by two, and that should be how the, the number of ounces of water you're drinking per day. If you are drinking any diuretics, if you have any caffeine, if you have coffee, if you have black tea, even certain herbal teas such as peppermint tea is actually dehydrating. Um, if you're having your matcha, I mean, if you drink soda, you shouldn't be drinking soda. That's so It's so bad for you. Um, then you need to add another, let's say, 8 to 12 ounces just to make it easy right there. Um, there's a whole math equation, but let's just add another 8 to 12 ounces <laughs> for every cup of diuretics you're drinking. I also recommend not chugging your water all at once. I recommend drinking it evenly throughout the day. Sip, sip, sip. You know, just let it go. I think that the easiest way to do that is to get a water bottle. I There's this glass water. This is kind of how I train myself. I got a glass water bottle on Amazon because glass water bottles are the way to go. They're heavy, but it's sort of the best thing to drink out of in my opinion and 
I got one that has little time markers throughout the day and it's like labeled. So I got a 32 ounce water bottle that's labeled with time. So it sort of gets you something to, to aim for. And I mean, I said, okay, I got to drink one of these water bottles before lunch and one after. And that sort of got me into a rhythm of drinking about half of my water before lunch and then half after and then I only had to fill up my water bottle twice during the day so that helped me and it should also be room temperature cold water is hard on digestion in my opinion or even warm water is good if you have a I think this is pretty instinctive for people who have digestive issues they kind of don't usually want really cold water also no water during meals Please, no water during meals except for, you know, if you have to take any type of supplement, then just use the amount of water, the least amount of water you need um, for that. And then try not to have any water. Like, I, I, I recommend leaving like 30 minutes before and after a meal with no water at least 15 minutes um, because when you're drinking water with your meals that can really dilute your stomach acid dilute those digestive juices and make the process of digestion more difficult you really want all of all those gastric juices to be really concentrated so that's that some people you know if you're on a low carbohydrate diet you might feel like you need to balance your electrolytes out a bit in which case I would recommend adding salt some sea salt some high quality sea salt can be really good to add to your water I think that people in general especially if you're eating a whole foods diet it's really important to get some salt um, in into your diet people forget to add salt don't be afraid of the salt when it's like high quality Celtic sea salt or pink Himalayan salt we're not talking about iodized table salt that stuff is bleach deodorized it's crap but good high quality sea salt should not be feared use it to taste you know if you if you're feeling off if you're on a lower carbohydrate diet you're probably going to need some more some more salt to help balance those electrolytes but salt is so important um and also if you're struggling with your adrenals like if you have really low cortisol it can be really helpful for your adrenals to first thing in the morning maybe you're having like some warm water with whatever lemon in it and I would add some salt into your water first thing this can also be really great pre-workout so when you're drinking water before you work out I would add some sea salt in. it can really help boost your workouts I find so that's another helpful tip as well okay next one there are actually a few questions that multiple people asked, and this is one of them. Maybe I should prioritize those. Okay, this one. Oh, my God. Okay. Why do I recommend gluten, going gluten-free even without celiac disease? What are the benefits of cutting out gluten even if you don't have an intolerance? Okay, guys. People have written books on this. So I recommend you read books if you want something super thorough. And I definitely, I think I need to write a blog post about this because this is like a big issue. And I'm honestly so, I know this is like an emotionally charged topic for people. It's emotional for me because it kills me to, to see how many people are running around saying that gluten's fine if you don't have celiac disease because I think that's just so wildly irresponsible. And I just genuinely care about people's health and I just, ugh, it makes me upset. And here's the thing. It's like, you know what? I, I can tell you what I think and if you don't want, if you don't care and you want to still eat gluten, then like that's your decision and that's totally fine. Like it's your life and your body, but this is what I think. So 
if you don't like it, then that's okay. You know, you don't have to agree with everything I say. Um, <laughs> so my feelings about gluten are also like part of this is going to be this also ties in with how people are so wrapped up in studies and I think that this whole gluten issue is going to be really similar to what happened with the low fat craze like everybody said fat was so bad and now we're looking back and everybody's like oh my god we're so dumb we're dumb we're so dumb we screwed ourselves up big time by going low fat for so long that had huge health ramifications it just increased our sugar consumption by so much plus just destroyed our bodies because our bodies need healthy fats but whatever and I think that that's kind of what people are gonna think in 20-30 years when we look back on this gluten and like everyone who is saying oh gluten's fine if you don't have celiac is gonna look back and just hit their head against the wall and think I was an idiot I was an idiot. <laughs> I wish I had known because that's what the difficulty is with this gluten thing. It's like you don't know until it's too late and it's really hard to find causal connections with things because gluten affects so much and I just think that it's an unhealthy food for everybody. So, I mean, okay, gluten is a protein found in a lot of grains. Wheat is the most well-known source of gluten and wheat on its own has, I mean, the gluten itself is a big issue within wheat, but it also has its own horrible properties. I mean, wheat itself is incredibly addictive. It's like a drug chemically basically in your body. But so gluten is in wheat, it's in rye, it's on barley, it's in lots of different grains. So in celiac disease, this is an autoimmune disease where your immune system basically attacks your own body, it attacks your small intestine when you consume gluten. This can lead to, I mean, digestive upset, first of all, but also fatigue, brain fog, joint pain, depression, malnutrition, just a whole host of symptoms. And only 1% of the population has actually been diagnosed with celiac, but it has been suggested that 83% of celiac disease sufferers haven't been diagnosed yet or have been misdiagnosed. So that's a big range of people. But even, and that's just celiac disease, plus we know that we have so many people who have non-celiac gluten sensitivity, but my thing is like, in my eyes, everyone is gluten sensitive, whether or not you know it, because you have to understand that gluten doesn't just affect your digestive system, and this is why it's interesting, like so many people who have celiac don't even have any digestive symptoms, so they don't even think about it, and they don't even consider that as the reason why they're having these health issues, many of which don't show up for years down the line, because it it affects our, our brains as well, so these are really toxic compounds um, gluten is directly toxic to intestinal cells. It inhibits the proliferation of our cells. It increases cellular oxidation and actually changes the membrane structure of our cells. When we're talking about the effects it has on the intestine, it actually reduces the height of the villi in the intestines. It's really impairing digestion. It's reducing your gut surface area basically by reducing the height of those microvilli and it causes our, an immune response basically when we ingest gluten this creates an immune response in the body to help clear the gluten from the intestine but this is inflaming the intestine it kills intestinal cells and it makes it makes our guts leaky this is leaky gut this is intestinal permeability no humans 
have the digestive ability to break down gluten like that's just a human thing it's 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 a toxin in the body and when it makes our guts more leaky this allows bacteria and proteins food molecules to enter the body which is then creating a larger inflammatory response so it's not just the gluten itself it's also the downstream effects of when this gives us leaky gut which so many people struggle with um and then other particles down the line over time are then entering into the bloodstream, causing inflammation within the body. These can eventually reach the brain. But, okay, let me backtrack for a second. Basically, what happens is when you eat gluten, whether or not you have an immune response, because people make arguments in terms of scientific studies saying that people don't have immune reactivity, although there has been recent research out of Harvard showing that we're all affected by gluten. But anyways... Some people are citing studies that are basically saying that when they're looking at inflammation markers, it's not raised. Okay, fine, whatever. But if whether or not you see immune reactivity initially or not, when you eat gluten, it's going to stimulate the release of an enzyme called zonulin. And this controls GI permeability and blood-brain barrier permeability. So what's getting from the blood into the brain. So basically, this is controlling those tight junctions in the lining of our gut our guts are supposed to be selectively permeable so we're supposed to have these tight junctions to keep things in the gut to keep other things out you know and then at certain times it's supposed to open up a little bit to allow certain things out into the bloodstream but you know not bad things but basically what happens is when zonulin is increased then this is allowing for a few hours, whatever, to slip through, enter the bloodstream, and then later on mount an immune reaction, and then potentially cross the blood-brain barrier and create an inflammatory response there. There are lectins found in wheat that can cross the blood-brain barrier, attach themselves to the myelin sheaths in your brain, and block the growth factor, which is what helps our brains repair itself. So over time, this can compromise the brain and that when that happens there's no immune reactivity that shows up at all but that is over time and that's how it really affects the brain itself so it's not just digestion it's also our brain health and this is where it's scary because this is like things that can happen over time so I really believe that a lot of these neurodegenerative conditions that we're seeing crop up when we're older these you know these diseases of aging are largely related to gluten intake and because all this is a cumulative effect that's adding up over time and gluten itself you know is contributing also to that intestinal permeability it's toxic to the body and if you have a leaky gut then you're just gonna I mean that can lead to a whole host of symptoms and they've linked gluten intake to gut issues obviously so inflammatory bowel disease Crohn's disease colitis um also just general digestive distress, as well as depression and anxiety, schizophrenia, uh, autism, also a ton of skin conditions, so eczema, psoriasis, acne, diabetes, blood sugar dysregulation, mood and memory problems, so many different issues, hormonal problems, so yes, gluten, as shown by the research from Harvard, 
does affect the gut lining, can contribute to intestinal permeability, leaky gut for everybody who eats gluten, but it's worse for different people. And there have been many studies showing asymptomatic people who do test positive for antibodies like anti-GLAD and IgA, so in response to the gluten. I just think that it's linked to so many different health issues. It's contributing to poor gut health. It's contributing to this leaky gut issue, which is causing a host of other problems and I think that a lot of people just don't realize that it's gluten that's having such an impact on them because it might not show up for years down the line or it might show up in a way that you wouldn't even expect like if it's the mental health if it's the memory if it's the you know the mood the energy a skin condition it can compromise your calcium and vitamin d3 levels it can you know really really hurt the thyroid and cause bone defects it can cause leptin resistance, which totally affects your hunger signals and you ever being full. So yeah, I just really think that it's a bad idea for people. It is toxic. It's a strong lectin. And I think that avoiding all lectins is unrealistic, but this is a lectin that has just really intense effects. And I don't think it's a healthy food for anyone in, in my opinion. And we see this rise in autoimmune conditions and people can't really figure out why. And I think this is a, also a big reason why because there's this aspect of molecular mimicry. So the gladin protein actually is very similar in amino acid structure to a number of human proteins. So sometimes when people eat gluten, this creates an immune response. And then the immune response of like our antibodies, our lymphocytes will now accidentally attack something within the body like our own organs, autoimmunity. So it, there's this mismatch there. Anyways, that's my short gluten explanation. I just don't recommend it for anyone. I don't think it's a good idea and it stays in your system for months. So it's not like, oh, I had dairy. I got sick. It's out of my system. I mean, it's going to stay in your system for a long time. So yeah, I think I should probably write up a blog post about this one. That's my opinion on gluten. And I, this is so important to me because this is what people need to understand. I truly believe that the root of almost every single disease, like it all starts with the gut. And we think about disease, that's probably the wrong word, but like every health issue, it all goes back to the gut. I don't know any illness or health symptom where the first thing we address is not gut health. It really is related to everything. It's related to our mental health, our emotions. It's related to our energy. It's related to your brain health. It's related to your skin and different skin conditions. It's related to fatigue and energy. I mean, I just feel like every chronic illness links back to the gut health. And there's other things involved as well, but I just think that gut health should truly be everybody's priority and if everybody really prioritized that and focused on it and improved it, their lives would change. Like people's lives would straight up change. So that's why I'm so focused on gut health and when I'm deciding how I live my life, I always have that in the back of my head and whenever something is off in my life, my first instinct is, okay, how what's going on with my gut? How is my gut going? And I'm not saying that solves everything, but it makes a huge difference in almost everything. And I really think that most things have a have at least part of their root is in the gut, if not everything. I'm just obsessed with gut health. So that's, that's why I love it. 
And speaking of the gut and gut health and really just the health of our digestive system, something I've been into recently, well, I mean, always, the liver. The liver is so incredibly important. It has over 500 functions in the body and it does a lot and it's an important part of our digestive system as well as plays a huge role in hormonal health and this is all related to detoxification. Anyways, I was just reading up and one of the things that is great to support the liver and detoxification are some of my favorite Four Sigmatic mushrooms. So if you're not familiar with Four Sigmatic, hop on it. They're so delicious. So we know that mushrooms there's there's a whole kingdom of mushrooms it's not just the mushrooms you see at the store but there are medicinal mushrooms that have been used for centuries for a plethora of health benefits they help with energy longevity immunity so many different things and we're talking about functional mushrooms like reishi chaga cordyceps lion's mane you've probably heard of these if you're in the wellness space and then they also incorporate different superfoods and adaptogens like rhodiola, cassandra, all very related to hormonal health and detoxification, all of these things. So I love Four Sigmatic because they basically make it really easy and delicious to get your your superfoods and your mushrooms in. They have their mushroom coffees, which are super popular. They have their superfood blends and their mushroom elixirs. I am all over that elixir life and I love all of them, but let's talk about one of my favorites, cordyceps. Like other medicinal mushrooms, cordyceps are known to help fight free radicals, infections, and inflammation. They're really great for fighting against disease and they've been used for a long time to help with different respiratory disorders, coughs, colds, liver damage, but cordyceps is really great for fighting against aging and stress and increasing energy levels. A number of studies suggest that cordyceps can actually improve physical abilities, your endurance, your stamina. So this is a great option for anyone who's an athlete or anyone who likes to exercise, who just needs some more energy in your life. It actually also has been known to improve libido and reproductive function. That's another one. It increases your immune function. It has been shown to benefit those who struggle with leaky gut, which we have just discussed. There are so many different health benefits. And like I mentioned, cordyceps specifically has been shown to help improve liver function and detoxification. It can also help to fight diabetes. So many amazing health benefits. I think the best time to drink your cordyceps would be earlier in the morning because it can help give you some energy and it's also great to drink before you have a sporting event or if you're just being active in any way. Super delicious. All you have to do with all the Four Sigmatic elixirs is just add it to hot water. Stir it in. It tastes delicious. You can also add it to a nut milk. can be really delicious. It's super, super easy. So I love so many of the Four Sigmatics products, but I just wanted to highlight Cordyceps today. I have been drinking that a lot more regularly. I like to drink it the days I work out, especially I do the Reishi every night. I do the Chaga for immunity. 
often. Um, I just started getting more into the lion's mane, which is really good. Actually, if you're in LA, Four Sigmatic has a shroom room on Abbott Kinney, and you just go up and they give you a free latte. It's amazing. But if you want to check out some other products for yourself, go to foursigmatic.com slash CRW, and you can use the discount code CRW for 15% off. Again, foursigmatic.com, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash CRW. Use that discount code for 15% off. Cannot recommend these enough. A lot of my clients will use these to help them get off of coffee if they're addicted to coffee and these elixirs have no caffeine in them. They taste delicious. It's really easy to make and it kind of replaces that that ritual and it has a sim- it doesn't taste like coffee but it has a similar earthy vibe if you know what I mean or you know if people don't if their adrenals are good and they still want to have their coffee then people will switch over to the four sigmatic mushroom coffee mix because that basically balances out the caffeine stimulation of coffee with these different mushrooms they have one with cordyceps and chaga and one with lion's mane and chaga so I highly recommend you check those ones out Speaking of being active and cordyceps and working out, somebody asked, how long did you wait to eat after a workout? That is a very interesting question and there's a lot of different ideas around this. And I think it depends on what the type of workout is and what time of day you're doing it and also what your goals are. So for instance, there are some I basically fasting after a workout can actually help to maximize the rise in human growth hormone that you receive. This can help with bone density, muscle mass, general cell reproduction, and resistance training helps to trigger that rise in human growth hormone. So sometimes people will say that, you know, they they want to kind of fast after a workout to take advantage of that. However, there are also people who basically when when they fast after a workout, this is just keeping their cortisol high and because if their body is hungry and they're not giving it food, this can stress the body out. Slash, I find this is really interesting is that sometimes people who don't eat after their workout, this their testosterone has risen from the workout and this can make some people have acne. If they're doing this regularly, they're not eating after a workout. So I find with some people, like I'll recommend they eat after the workout. That helps to bring down those testosterone levels. And then they don't have that acne problem anymore. So if you're dealing with weird hormonal acne, if you tried everything else, that could be something to think about. Um, I also think that, you know, if, if the workout was fasted, if you're working out first thing in the morning, it's more important to eat right after the workout, I would recommend eating right after the workout if it was fasted. Um, for most people, your body hasn't gotten food in a bit, and if you just did a hard workout, it's really important to replenish that. Um, if it's not a fasted workout, say you're working out in the afternoon, I don't think it's as important to get food in right after a workout. And you know, there's all those ideas like you've got to get food in right after your workout that's really overstated and kind of old news and like not true like I wouldn't stress out about it I wouldn't you know wait like 10 hours but you don't need to get in that post-workout shake within 30 minutes I really don't think you need to worry about that 
The other thing is kind of related to digestion. So I think that if you're doing a workout that's creating this higher cortisol response, so maybe you're doing high-intensity workout or maybe more endurance or cardio, then you might want to wait a little bit more for digestive purposes because when when, when we are working out, we're in that fight-or-flight state versus the rest-and-digest state. So if you eat right after you work out, you could your body could still be in that fight-or-flight state and this is going to inhibit the digestive process versus if you waited a, a little bit to make sure that your body is in that rest and digest state, then that can help with the digestion. But if you're doing something less intense or that's not really spiking your cortisol as much, like your cortisol should come down more quickly. So say you're doing like weightlifting, straight sets, you know, not overexerting yourself, I suppose, or if you're doing something lighter, maybe you're doing yoga, then I don't really see that as that big an issue of an issue like I would just kind of let it naturally ride out I mean I think that this is kind of just people think about it too much like work out you know maybe you shower you get dressed you pull yourself together by that point your body should be fine and ready for food and I also think that people should follow their natural hunger signals regarding this so because this is the thing most of the time like say you do a fasted workout and then you work out you're most people are hungry afterwards. So then by the time that they, you know, get dressed, get ready for the day, eat, like it's time to go. That works out well. But say you have an afternoon workout and you work out and like you're not hungry directly after, maybe just wait until until you're hungry. Um, unless you're having other hormonal imbalances, this acne issue, you're noticing that your cortisol is spiking. I think it it depends on the type of workouts that people are doing and the individual as well in the time of day. So that's my recommendation there. Random. Someone asked, think you'd ever do a vlog? You'd kill it. Thanks. That's so nice. I would love to do a vlog. The thing is, I only have so many hours in a day. And if someone told me that they would pay me to do a vlog, I would totally do it. But I can't exert extra hours doing something that's not going to make me any money. unfortunately so that's just how it's gonna go um okay keto diet and vivid dreaming um yeah this is a thing and I'm not exactly sure the mechanism behind this and I'm not sure other people are but a lot of people notice that when they're in keto they have really vivid dreams um there are some thoughts that maybe this is just like all of the healthy fats you're eating, it's really ramping up brain activity or like now that the brain is utilizing ketones, maybe you have more active REM sleep. I I don't fully understand why this is working, um, why this is happening for some people, but I have experienced it and I it's a common thing and I've tried looking into it before. I remember the first time I went keto I I actually have always been someone who has had crazy dreams. I think like growing up, every, my friends always knew this and I was, I've always been very into dreams, used to analyze people's dreams for fun. I don't know. Anyways, when I went keto, they were crazy and I was looking into this like, what is happening to me? Really intense. So people, I mean, I was getting much deeper sleep. So it happens, not sure why, 
Yeah. Okay. Opinions on carb ups. When is the best time to do it? I think the best time to carb up would be in the evening. I'm a big fan of carbs in the evenings. Um, I think that also great like post-workout and that post-workout window, it's a great time to have more carbohydrates. I think that if you're struggling with hormonal imbalances, if you have a dysregulated period, if you are struggling with adrenal fatigue, really stressed out, that's a really, you're a great person to carb up every single night. Maybe more carbs than that. Um, I'm assuming this person is coming from a ketogenic perspective. I think that most people with carb ups, you kind of like have this intuition with it, you know? So I think like a good day to do it, I guess, would be if you're feeling like you're hungrier than usual or something's just off, your hormones are off, then I would carb up in the evening. I, I think that the, the best time to do it is at night uh, for most people and or right after a workout. So I am a big fan of carb ups. I think that people should use them more. I think especially for women. I don't think men need them as much, if at all. So, yeah. Should I be chewing yogurt, applesauce, oatmeal in addition to smoothies? Yeah. Yeah, you should be chewing everything. Chewing, 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 30 to 40 times a bite. Pulverize, add toppings. Uh, yeah, that's why I like soup. Try and chew, add things in there that you have to chew. That will really help with digestion. You want to stimulate your stomach acid. Chewing sends signals down to the gut, you know, to get things going. When we chew, we secrete salivary amylase, which helps to digest our carbohydrates. If you're not chewing, you're not secreting that enzyme, you're not going to digest your carbohydrates, and that's going to cause some issues down, downstream. So, yeah, chew it all. Okay. I also got quite a few questions that were asking. So someone said strategies to combat shame, mocking from being healthy around ignorant SAD eaters, sad eaters, standard American diet eaters, um, how to deal with those who you are close to, who have differing views on food than you, like a lot of questions in that realm. So, okay. If someone around you is eating a standard American diet and shaming you or mocking you, here's the truth. Why are you hanging out with them? This is what I want to know why you're hanging out with them. Anyone who mocks you for the way you eat, like, you don't need that negativity in your life. That's going to impair your digestion. We don't need these inflammatory people in our lives. They are no fun. They are, I mean... This is the thing. If you're eating healthy and doing what makes you feel good, then if someone's really your friend, they should support that. And if they're mocking you, typically this comes from a few a few places. It's usually an insecurity in somebody else. Maybe maybe they're jealous of you. Maybe they're looking at the way you're living your life and they're jealous because they maybe aren't feeling so good. Maybe they want to do that, but they feel like they can't, even though they totally could. And so it's easier to put someone down than be like, oh, that's cool. I want to try or ask for help. A lot of people don't want to admit that, you know, they're struggling with something. Or it could just be coming from a place of not understanding. 
at all. So it really is ignorance. Sorry, but it's ignorance. Um, people don't really understand. And so, you know, if, if it's coming from more of that place, maybe it's an issue of education, educating people. A lot of this is like, if someone keeps mocking you, I mean, bye, you don't need them. But remember your why and why you're eating the, the way you're eating or why you are living your life the way you're living your life and like stand firm in that because there's nothing that anyone should respect more than someone who just like stands their ground and like like does what they believe in and does what makes them feel good and here's the thing the way you eat doesn't affect someone else so you can even say that to them like if someone is really just like going after you be like why are you making fun of me because the way I eat does does it affect you it doesn't. So, honestly, depending on the situation, I think it can be good to call someone out. You know, it's it's hard to know what exactly is going on here. But, you know, either, like, also, though, don't make a big deal out of the way you eat, I guess. Like, it's just the way you eat. And, like, so if you're somebody who's running around being like, I eat paleo and I don't eat grains and, like, stop eating all your gross food. Like, no one wants to hear that. You know, it doesn't matter. Just do your thing. And if other people want to eat the standard American diet, that's their decision. And, you know, let's, we can just all respect each other's decisions. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But I do think that some sly education never hurts either. And I know for me, a lot of people who used to just make fun of me or mock me, who I couldn't get rid of, any friends that I had who did that, I, you know, I cut those cords. And it took me a while to do that. But it was really freeing when I did. Other people who mocked me, like family members who I couldn't just, you know, they're going to be there. I basically just kind of decided to stop fighting and just eventually, here's the thing. Anyone who's mocking you or shaming you or teasing you, they're looking to get a rise out of you. So don't give them that rise. So just act like it doesn't phase you and eventually hopefully they just stop and what's really funny is after some time if you just keep doing your thing a lot of times people are watching and you would be shocked at a lot of the people who mock you or shame you are the ones who come back around and you know maybe you'll see them in six months and all of a sudden they're eating really healthy and like exercising and a lot of times people who are mocking you, here's the thing, they're paying attention to you, obviously. So lead by example and the last laugh is going to be from you because guess what? People who are eating poorly eventually, if they're not already, are going to not feel very good and realize that maybe there's something to this thing. If they're seeing you transform your lifestyle and feeling much better eventually it comes back around so you kind of have to like have faith in the process and just like shrug anyone off who's shaming you if they're a part of your life make them leave like well don't make them leave just don't put any effort into them so I think that's that's an issue and then just if someone's not shaming you but if they just have differing views on food than you I mean I think it depends on what your goal is like is it really bothering you? Are you worried about them? Is it becoming a fight? If you're trying to get through to somebody, I mean, I found that for most people, if someone isn't open and ready to receive information, then it's not worth it trying to shove it down their throats. Don't do that. But if someone is 
has differing views, but they're like open and more receptive and they're trying to have a conversation about it. Education is the best thing. It's not like you should eat this way because I'm telling you this. I think that the best way to sort of get through to somebody is to have it come from someone else's perspective. Usually we don't want to look at our friends or or family members and like accept them as an expert in something that for some reason feels threatening to most people. So what can be better is to kind of have this outside third party. So I know with my family or friends, I will just give them books from people like or send them blog posts. But books seem to be the best route because they're so in-depth and thorough and people can, you know, start to come to it. You, you want people to feel like they're making decisions on their own terms, like they came to the realization, like it's much better. It's easier for someone to say, oh, I stopped eating gluten because I read in this book from this doctor, blah, blah, blah. Then, oh, I stopped eating gluten because Sally told me that, you know, it causes intestinal permeability. Like no one wants to say that, you know, it's just easier for people to do it if a doctor says it, which is really sad, but let's be honest. So I think that education in that sense is the best way to go you know, and also leading by example. Just keep doing your thing, live your best life, eat healthy, practice healthy habits, and eventually people pick up on them. But also don't let somebody like kick you around. And if someone's really putting down the way you're living and you can't like, I I mean, stop hanging out with them. But if it's someone in your family, you need to stand up for yourself and be like, hey, the way I eat makes me feel good and it doesn't affect you. And I really don't appreciate you mocking me, making fun of me, it doesn't make me feel good and if it makes you feel good to do that then we have a bigger problem here sorry and that's just the way it's got to go okay a few people asked about thyroid but I have so much to say about the thyroid that I don't really want to try and squeeze this into this episode uh let's see what other quickies can I do how about how do I lose inflammation from overtraining do I have to stop training or can I cut back or is fat caused from overtraining? How do I get my body back? Yeah, inflammation can, I mean, well, overtraining can cause inflammation and overtraining can cause fat, can cause weight gain. Or overtraining, this is spiking our cortisol. High cortisol can cause that lower belly fat accumulation, which most people don't want. So, okay, there are a few ways to go about this. Yeah, you could stop training. I mean, I think it's a good idea for everyone to take a deload week every once in a while. Just walk. Walk around. to Have, like, a, an active lifestyle. Do that. But you can also cut back, but it's about cutting back to a level that's calming down. So I would, I would cut out anything high intensity. I would focus on resistance training. I would literally just walk around and do two to three days a week of resistance training so that could be body weight that could be weights that could be pilates or even just switching over to you know lighter workouts in general any of those i cutting back can help a lot um for some people they need to stop for a bit if you've really been doing this for a long time and if that's hard for you maybe just like slowly reduce the amount of exercise that you're doing and you know let your body calm down but I really think that it's really important to be getting enough sleep as well because that can also be a big issue so in general you need to look at all aspects of your life that are causing stress and those are all going to contribute to inflammation and 
exercise is a stressor. It just adds to the stress bucket along with everything else. So look at that. So losing inflammation from overtraining. Yeah, you got to stop overtraining. Unfortunately, I would cut back. I would definitely not do anything like these berries, orange berries classes, orange theory, F45. Sure. I don't even know if these are, I don't even know. All of those things that are like weights with like cardio weights, basically high intensity weight. Like, no, 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 no. If you're doing resistance training, go straight sets, take rest in between. That's how you grow muscle, focus on muscle, not cardio. Cut the cardio besides low level walking movement, which really isn't cardio. Like you shouldn't feel like you're sweating. It should just be easy. Just walking around. Um, that's my suggestion there. Does your body use grain carbohydrates the same as veggie slash fruit carbohydrates? When choosing carbs, should we choose veggie slash fruit carbs over grains? Yeah, you should, in my opinion. Uh, the body does not... Well, here's the thing. Grain carbohydrates come with other issues. They come with toxins and lectins and phytates and these things that can basically disrupt your gut and cause inflammation in the body. And so I don't think that's an ideal form of carbohydrate versus much more nutrient-dense vegetables and fruits as carbohydrates those that's where your nutrient density is gonna come in or if you're going to use grains I recommend gluten-free grains I recommend soaking and sprouting them to help with the digestibility and yeah I mean a grain grains have are denser sources of carbohydrates so I mean someone who's like a high level athlete like doing a lot of intense workouts like this is where they might do really well with like soaked white rice like white rice is really easy on digestion if they need a really dense source of carbohydrates but for most people I think that vegetable and fruit carbohydrates are the way to go and they're not inflammatory the way that grains are in my opinion so ah uh, you guys have so many good questions I am going to wrap it up with this one. Can paleo slash keto be used to help people recover from disordered eating? And this is going off of it. Like, is someone said, is it possible to recover from an eating disorder while exercising and eating a whole foods paleo diet? For both of these, yeah, it's totally possible. But I don't know you and I don't know your situation. So maybe for you, it's not the best route. I think it depends on like what sort of caused the eating disorder and what kind of eating disorder it is. So, okay. Can paleo keto be used to help people recover from disordered eating? Yeah. Um, for me, it totally did. It like gave me food freedom because I finally found a way of eating that made my body feel good. And I wasn't afraid of eating foods because I was at a point where I felt like I didn't know what was going to cause me reactions. And I find that a lot of eating disorders, I mean, not all of them, but I find that a lot of them are almost triggered because of a larger health issue. And I think that eating a healing diet can help address that underlying health issue, in which case that can help with the eating disorder. And I also, God, this is a whole other issue, and I've, I, this is something that's really near and dear to my heart, but in terms of eating disorder recovery, it really, really kills me to see the way that, you know, when you go to treatment centers, the way that they supposedly recover 
these people because I think that we should be helping people recover using a nutrient-dense diet, not just making them eat cookies and milkshakes and like force-feeding them all these calories because that's just throwing off someone's hunger signals more and worsening their relationship with food in my opinion so I don't think that's helpful I think that paleo and keto can really be helpful because they support brain they support like your brain functioning and your mood like in your hormones so I think when that all helps to balance you out they can help people out of eating disorders but the other issue is it's like how someone views a diet so if you start a paleo if you start paleo or keto and this is making you go crazy say you start keto and all of a sudden you're into tracking and you're you don't want to eat foods because they're not keto or same with paleo if you feel too restricted then that's probably not the best way to go you know I think it just really depends on the situation I think that any way of eating that makes you feel like free is the way to get out of an eating disorder in my opinion but I also don't think that no matter who you are like you should be focusing on nutrient density because you want to feel healthy and good and happy you know and that all ties into it um is it possible to recover from an ed while exercising and eating a whole foods paleo diet i mean i think i think that people should be recovering using a whole foods diet like i just do and you absolutely can this is what i have helped so many people get through that's how i healed as well and anyone who tells you that you can't is i mean it's just ignorant honestly and it's really sad it's really sad and it just feeds into more eating disorders in my opinion because then they make people feel guilty for wanting to be healthy. And this just blows my mind. But um, exercising, it depends on your situation and if your eating disorder is related to exercise, then I mean it depends. I think some people can get through it. Some people can, but I would say for most people, no. I would say for most people, you should probably stop exercising. Like, if you have exercise addiction, my opinion is that you should stop exercising. Um, and here's the thing. The sooner you do that, the sooner you heal, the sooner you can get back to exercising in a, in a more, in, in a better way. But if exercise isn't tied into your eating disorder, like, there are all t- different types of eating disorders, then maybe you can still continue um, some type of exercise it just kind of depends on the situation. Like, if you're at a super low weight, you shouldn't be exercising, in my opinion. If you use exercise as a way to purge, then you shouldn't be exercising. So, you know, if you have exercise addiction, I don't, I think it's best to cut it out. So, that's my opinion there. But I think that you can definitely use a whole foods diet to heal. You can use a whole foods diet to put on weight I think that a whole foods diet helps so much with people's emotional health which is really at the key of getting through an eating disorder is really focusing on that emotional health and um but this is a thing you need to make sure you're working with somebody I think that you know you should really find a therapist who specializes in eating disorders and a nutritionist to help you along the way at the minimum, maybe your health team is greater, is bigger than that. Um, but I think that that's really important for this. Um, if you just start eating paleo or keto, 
that's not going to help the issue. And the keto thing for some people that can, for some people, I think that can be the thing that like helps that does help them heal. And for others going keto would literally do the exact opposite and make everything so much worse. So if there's any inkling of you that feels like the way you're eating is like restricting you or making like making you miss other things or you're tracking things no 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 don't do it run the other way because your relationship with food is top top priority over any macronutrient ratio can you hear me tapping my emphasis on my computer I just realized I think you guys can hear when I tap I get excited so yeah that's a really loaded topic I mean I tell people this if I had millions of dollars one of the things I would do is open up an eating disorder treatment facility that is centered around healing with a whole foods diet and like healthy lifestyle practices and you know meditation and I don't know I'm just so passionate about that because I think that the goal should be to recover from disordered eating or an eating disorder and like not come out with another one and come out being healthy, like come out feeling healthy, feeling good, having a good relationship with food, teaching people how to eat like a balanced diet, not a restricted one, um, and not make people feel guilty for wanting to be healthy. So yeah, it's really interesting how, how much health shaming goes on people who have an eating disorder like if you have struggled with disordered eating you're allowed to want to be healthy I think people there's all this health shaming going on and people are saying that you know <laughs> I can't even get into this that if someone eats paleo they have an eating disorder and I'm just like really if someone is out there arguing that then I think that speaks more to their relationship with food and this is just a projection of deeper insecurities and I just don't like how it negatively impacts people who really are trying to improve their lives and their health. So do what in your heart feels best. And if there's someone in your life who you really trust who has really good advice and maybe you feel like you can't make the best decisions for yourself as well, maybe trust their opinion. But at the end of the day, like, remember that? everyone has their own bias. I mean, this is just kind of the way the world works. Like, I have my own biases, of course. Um, So, at the end of the day, not just related to this topic, but just in general, there's gonna, there's gonna be, okay, everyone's gonna have their opinion. Everyone has their own bias, their own voice, and that's not wrong or bad. It's just kind of what happens when you're humans. But at the end of the day, the ability to tune in and listen to to your gut, to your heart, to your soul, and what that voice is telling you is the most important skill to develop and is what you need to listen to. And, you know, when, when you start to tune into that, I think your whole life can really change. And just because you don't do what someone else thinks or does doesn't mean that you don't like them or you don't respect them or, you know, it's it's fine. But just follow your truth. And I think that's the best path in general for basically everything in life. And that can be a complicated muscle to train, but start working on it every day and you'll get there. Okay, there were so many other really great questions. I really wanted to get to the thyroid stuff, but I feel like I'm going to need a solid 20 to 30 minutes on that. So maybe next time, if you have questions that you would like me to answer, 
please send them in to podcast at christinaricewellness.com and I could do it in my next Q&A. Also curious if you guys prefer Q&As like this where it's just I'm going through questions, trying to get through as many as I can on a wide variety of topics or if you would rather me do like full episodes on just one topic. Curious what you think. Personally, I like it both ways when I'm listening to other people's podcasts. So whatever whatever you want, we can we can do. I'm down to try new things. So I hope you enjoyed this. Hopefully you learned something new. I always love Q&A episodes. I hope you have a really, really great August. Here's to a new month. And make sure that you join our Facebook group wellness realness podcast tribe you can meet other like-minded people ask any questions in there it's a lot of fun for more from me make sure you head to my blog christinaricewellness.com follow me on instagram christinaricewellness thanks again for listening and i'll talk to you again next time